A quick disclaimer, there are a bunch of swear words in French and English in this episode, so just beware. Hey, it's your well-meaning co-worker who wrote Happy Holidays in 37 languages perfectly, but misspelled it in English. Irene. This episode goes up on the 25th of December as a true gift to the world it is. So, to all celebrating, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. To everyone celebrating everything but Christmas, Happy Holidays. And to everyone not celebrating at all, yay to some extra days off and a winter being halfway through. Okay, now let's get to it. French. The word derives its root from the word franc, that in medieval Latin meant free, and in medieval English, generous. And it is also a language that makes people go, ooh, I'd go bilingual for that. But what makes French so irresistible to so many? Why does it have such a unique spelling? How did we end up with so many versions of French all over the world? Why do we have accents? Should you read poetry of a 16-year-old? And how to say Putin in French? I hope you'll cause it up with some tea in your most comfortable chair. Or maybe you'll run in a bath with some lavender oil and about to hop in. Because today we have the longest episode so far. Enjoy! So my name is Nathan, Nathan in French, uh-huh. <laughs> and I guess in Russian it would be Nathan, something like it. Well, that's how they write it. And there you go. Do you prefer the French pronunciation or the French? I guess. Uh huh. But the thing is, when foreigners try to pronounce it, it sounds weird to me. So I guess the English pronunciation in that case. Did you bring any beautiful poetry? So I was thinking of bringing poetry, mm-hmm. and I was actually listening to a song. And I was like, well, this song is pretty beautiful, so I'd rather bring that, if that's okay with you. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, it's poetry as well, I guess. Peut-on jamais savoir par où commence et quand finit l'indifférence Passe l'automne, vienne l'hiver et que la chanson de Prévert. Cette chanson, les feuilles mortes, s'effacent de mon souvenir. Et ce jour-là, mes amours mortes en auront fini de mourir. Et ce jour-là, mes amours mortes en auront fini de mourir. Wow. That was sad, right? Was it sad? It was very sad. Well, not very sad, but that's sad. I can translate yeah, if you go want. Ahead. So it's a song by Serge Gainsbourg, which you may have heard of. Okay, he was a French musician, like the second half of the 20th century. Serge Gainsbourg was, let's say, mm, quite an eccentric man. He was producing music and films since about late 1950s and until his death in the 90s. He's also, quite incidentally, considered to be one of the most significant figures in French pop culture. I listened a bit to his music and the range of genres is so diverse, from pop to rock to disco to even reggae. The song that we listen to definitely stands out as one of the most soothing and lyrical compared to the others. But I feel that at the very beginning of his career he heard Sex sells. And he wasn't just trying to use this advice, he was trying to win some kind of argument. There were a lot of scandals related to his work and personal life. Which I, of course, know, because before writing this aside, I googled Serge Gasbourg, sexual harassment, because it's just the kind of times we're living in, man. But yeah, 
He most certainly knew how to get attention from the audience, and brilliant lyrics were just a part of it. Uh, it's actually a song about another song, which the other song is by Prévert, who was a French poet. And the song by Prévert was Les Feuilles Mortes, which means the dead leaves. And this song by Gainsbourg is about dead loves. That's Les Amours Mortes, which means dead loves. Basically, he's saying that this song by Prévert reminds him of his dead loves, and that every time he hears it, well, the memory of the dead loves come back to him, and then he makes a parallel between the dead leaves and the loves, the dead loves that keep dying and dying. And the very end, he says that only the moment that this song, which is called Les Feuilles Mortes, the dead leaves, will uh, be erased from his memory, then the dead loves will be finished dying. It's a bit hard to explain. A word-for-word translation of this part would go something like Can we ever know from where the indifference starts and finishes? Fall autumn, come winter, and the music of Pever, this music, the dead leaves, the reason for my memory, and in that day, my dead loves will have finished dying. Yeah, but you did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, Why did it resonate with you? I don't know, I just find it's a very beautiful way to address this topic, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he, like, he wrote so many songs, and they're also different. Some of them are, you know, like a bit more violent, and that was the very start of his career, I think. And the way I see it, he's just speaking of how he lives this breakup, I guess. How even when the love is dead, it's not necessarily completely dead, and it keeps dying and dying and dying. Maybe because of these little details like songs. And I guess one of the reasons I find it beautiful is that, so amour, which means love, everyone knows that, is a pretty, well, even to French ears, it's a pretty poetic word. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of the reasons for that is that it's one of the very few, maybe the only one, I can't think of it. There must be some other ones, but it's one of the only French words that's masculine in the singular Mm. and feminine in the plural. There are actually just two more words that do that. Delice. Which means delicious or pleasing and... Org. Which means organ. The one in churches. It is the same deal with... Delice. As with... Amour. Where the feminine version is used, but the masculine one is considered to be more powerful and poetic. It is the other way around with... Org. Where the masculine version is mundane and the feminine one is high literature worthy. Because of that, when I hear amour morte, which is a plural for dead loves, it just sounds poetic, even to my French ear. You know, it's hard to find anything in your native language beautiful, but there you go. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that is quite an explanation, and I had no idea about the love word. I, I don't really know why that is, but, but you almost never hear it in the plural form, so this makes it a bit odd, you know, to my ears, which makes it poetic, I guess. Right. Are there any poets or other musicians that you enjoy? Um, well, obviously, French, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't read poetry that much, to be honest, but you know when we are in high school and you have to read poetry, and I really liked Rimbaud. Well, he, so he was a French poet, and he had a very romantic, not in, not in the love sense, but in the sense mm-hmm. of... He did so many weird stuff. Like he shot and he, he shot his lover or he got shot by his lover who was another poet. And then he went to, I don't remember me. I think it was in Africa to sell weapons. Well, whatever. You know, okay, like yeah. that was a cra- crazy life. And his poems are very beautiful, I think. So since I already used the word eccentric to describe Serge Gasbourg, 
I'm not quite sure which word to use for Arthur Rambour. He was born at the tender age of zero in 1854 in Charleville in France. Pretty much since then, he was shown his somewhat violent character as well as showing off his intellectual gifts. He started writing poetry when he was 10, and some poems that are now published he wrote as a 15-year-old. Say what? Arthur is said to be the pioneer of the whole decadent and symbolistic movement in French literature. I think it's fair to mention that he pretty much stopped writing when he was 21. After that, he was a soldier and then settled for a life of a merchant. Now for the eccentric part. In order to get that perfect and symbolistic verse, he would often derange his senses with drugs, alcohol, fasting and physical pain. And he would do that most frequently with his boyfriend at the time, Paul Verlaine, who kind of left his family for Arthur and was the guy who shot him. Twice. But the only thing that died that night was their love. And Arthur would die at the less than the age of 37 from bone cancer. Just to give you a taste of his works, here's what he wrote at 16. C'est un trou de verdure où chante une rivière accrochant follement aux herbes des haillons d'argent où le soleil de la montagne fière lui. C'est un petit val qui mousse de rayons. Un soldat jeune Bouche ouverte, tête nue, et la nuque baignant dans le frais cresson bleu d'or. Il est étendu dans l'herbe sous la nue, pâle dans son lit vert où la lumière pleut. Les pieds dans les glaïeuls, il dort. Souriant comme sourirait un enfant malade, il fait un somme. Nature perce-le chaudement, il a froid. Les parfums ne font pas frissonner sa narine. Il dort dans le soleil, la main sur sa poitrine, tranquille. Il a deux trous rouges au côté droit. At the beginning, he describes a beautiful summer field with the sun shining, flowers blooming and the river singing. Then, there is a soldier peacefully laying in the field, napping, smiling like a sick child. And then, there are two red holes in his right side. I thought I could have come with a Rambo poem, but I, I guess it would have been a bit fake because I don't read them that often and I do listen to this song pretty mm -hmm. often. So how do French people study French? When you, until you're something like 15, it's mostly learning the language. So you, know, you learn the grammar, you learn how to spell words and how to conjugate verbs and these, well, pretty dull things. Mm -hmm. And when you're 15, I, I start, I stopped learning French at 17 because I did a scientific baccalaureate. But when you're in high school, you start doing, I guess, more interesting stuff, such as reading texts, analyzing them, like trying to understand why something is beautiful, why this is powerful. So more literature focused, mm -hmm. I guess. And also, during your whole time in school, <laughs> you have to um, learn poems by heart and recite them in front of the whole class, which was a nightmare for me. Really? I just couldn't learn this by heart. Really? Well, this I know by heart, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't know, I found it really hard. And you have to recite it in front of the whole class. We had the same torture in Russian language as well. I guess like this is pretty universal experience. Okay, so what's your history with language learning? With English, I started learning English when I was... 11, mm -hmm. like everyone else in France. And, well, nothing incredible because well, I, I was a good student, but all you have to do to be a good student is do your homework and know a few fancy words, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there you go, you're a great student. Um, I guess the moment it really clicked 
is when I moved to the UK mm -hmm. when I was 18. And at this time, I was pretty confident about my English. But I, I was pretty sure I could live in England without problem. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was wrong because it's so hard. And well, I, I could do all the basic stuff, but I felt very limited and I just couldn't say all the things I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, in the UK, they have some pretty crazy accents. They do. Sorry. <laughs> not, I mean, not everyone, but some people do. Yeah. And they are so different from places to places. Some people I just couldn't understand. And many people just didn't understand me at all. Well, it, it was a bit frustrating, to be mm -hmm. honest. So, but I was there to study maths and English was just a side effect. Well, so I lived there for four years. Well, now I hope it's a little bit better, but I'm still a bit, well, I'm still not quite happy with my English because, well, my accent first and my vocabulary. Why do language learners have accents? Is it really such a big deal? What accents even are? Do you have one? Does your cow have one? So many questions. Let's begin with the most important one. Unfortunately, and I'm heartbroken to say this, cows do not have accents. I know, I know. Devastating. This fact has been cruising the internet since around 2006, but in reality, there is no substantial proof except for this one British farmer and John Wells, a professor at the University College of London, who actually said, eh, maybe, in which a cheese factory heard an emphatic. Yes! But, but no. It is, however, proven that dolphins, whales, cetaceous, and some species of birds have not just accents, but also dialects. I mean, technically, there is a slim chance that cows do have accents. So, if you are on the lookout for a future career and you want to study the phonetics of these amazing animals, please do it and let me know what you find. For us, the two-legged animals that learn how to beatbox, accents are pretty common. Everyone has one. Even you. Even I. Even those commercial announcers in the 40s who used a transatlantic accent that was actually artificially developed as a norm for cross-cultural communication in English. It's all aboard for fun in the park, but Junior hasn't got energy enough for fun. He'd sure like to ride that horse. An accent is basically the difference in the way we sound when we pronounce the same words. There are two types. One, which belongs to a larger group of people and is defined by their location. So if, say, you were born in Scotland, chances are that you speak English with a Scottish accent. And the second type is born when you learn a foreign language. What happens is, when we are babies, we are extremely talented at mimicking the sounds around us, to the point that we can mimic bird trills. How about that? But as we grow, we filter through and acquire only the sounds that are most necessary. So, around 18, most people already have a set articulation tailored for the language they speak. So, when we start learning another language, we face new sounds that we obviously have to study and some similar sounds that are still not quite identical to the ones that we know. And with both types, we substitute them with the sounds we already use, at least at the beginning. So, you might say a French word for good and pronounce it as bien instead of the authentic bien just because your mouth, and throat for that matter, is used to a limited amount of ways of producing sounds. That's why I would not be surprised if I pissed some proper linguists off when I said that vowels, for example in Arabic, are the same as in English. They might be very similar, but they're definitely not the same, with the slightest of variations that are not always noticeable in separate sounds. So I, for one, might not really hear a difference in ah and ah. But if you pull together English sounds to pronounce an Arabic word, you would say the word. But 
this is where your accent would make a grand entrance with fireworks and fanfares. Which brings us to our final question. Are accents that bad? Do we have to get rid of them and sound like native speakers? Well, there's not much research I can show you here, so you have to listen to my opinion. I think accents are great. I think the astonishing diversity we used to express and be ourselves, share our culture and heritage is so, so underappreciated. And yes, mostly thanks to the Western standards for pretty much everything that say if you sound alien, if you look alien, then you are an alien and an intruder. But our native languages carry so much history and culture, and it's okay if a small part of it makes its way into a new language you are trying to acquire. And also, you are studying another language. How amazing is that? Who cares for small mistakes when you are able to connect to an entirely new culture and discover so much more about the world, the people around, and yourself? So, go get it, champ. I still feel limited a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I really want to improve. You know, like, there are so many times when you want to say, so. well, right now is a good example of that. Some, some things I want to say and the way it comes out of my mouth because of, well, my limitations in English just don't reflect exactly what mm-hmm. I wanted to say. And that can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And do you speak any other languages? Well, I learned Spanish. Should I rename the podcast? Everyone is trying to learn Spanish and all the reasons why you should too. A show of hands, please. And I pretty much forgot it, to be honest. Okay. And I also learned Hebrew when I was three, until I was ten or something, and forgot all of it. Well, not all of it, but except for a few words. Uh, why did you study Hebrew? So I was in a Jewish school uh-huh. in Paris. Okay. So I had to study Hebrew, which was... Well, it, we were so young that it wasn't very serious, you know. Most of it was just coloring Mm-hmm. Some Hebrew letters. <laughs> and that's how you learn Hebrew, I think. But after seven years, I guess I could say a few things and not anymore. What was Spanish? Um, so I learned Spanish in high school. You have to take two languages. Uh-huh. So English and another one, Spanish or German usually. You can take Russian as well, but that's pretty rare. Okay. And um, I... So uh, my sister-in-law is Spanish. Okay. And I've spoken Spanish with her once or twice. And it, so it used to be... All right, and it's getting worse and worse. I'm forgetting everything. And well, I was uh, with a Mexican guy yesterday, and he kept reminding me how terrible my Spanish was. Oh my God. <laughs> well, there you go. And uh-huh. now that I'm here, I want to study Russian, but well, <laughs> that's hard. Um, why just for the life, or are you actually? I actually have to. Uh huh. But oh yeah. Also, right. the thing. Um, well, quite a few people in Russia don't really speak English at all, and. Well, it's pretty hard to live here without any Russian. Like, even for the most basic stuff, it's uh, just annoying, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, when I first arrived here, I couldn't even read. So I had no idea what anything was. And it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Now I, well, learning how to read is easy. You just have to learn a few letters. Well, when it resembles the English word, I can guess. And when it doesn't, I'm clueless, you know. And also, it's not that interesting, but about the bureaucracy and stuff, everything is in Russian. So just, I spent hours trying to find an office. And I was like, excuse me? And I was like, yeah, I'm risky. And I was like, please, <laughs> you know? Oh Everything God. is ho- so hard. Like when you don't speak Russian. Yeah, and, and in Russia. Yeah, well, but in life as well. <laughs> no, in Russia, I guess. And, well, I guess so. some people are more English speakers friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to learn Russian and I want to learn Russian. Mm-hmm. And I need to learn Russian, I guess. Um, we're suited for the university. So, I, so we have to take classes, but I guess that won't help that much. 
Anything else that you would like to learn? Something that makes you just, oh my God, this is a language of my dreams. Well, sometimes you're just, you know, like you have some phases where you just listen to the same singer for weeks. And you're like, I, w- I don't know if it's a Portuguese singer. You're like, I want to learn Portuguese. And then two weeks later, you're like, I don't care. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not that curious about languages, I guess. Mm-hmm. And well, I'm very curious about English. And well, I'm, I'm fascinated by like accents and everything, you know. Really? But, well, I, that's so interesting. The fact that in the UK, people can tell pretty immediately where someone comes from. Yeah. I, I, I can't do that in yeah. French. Yeah, and it's like such a tiny island as well. And yeah, like what? You know? And when you when you listen to American speakers, it sounds so different, you know? And just being able to well, to sound British, mm-hmm. which is impossible, I think. But There are trainings, like actors and stuff. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, if, if they're American, mm-hmm. maybe they can. For me, it's impossible. Yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I cannot even fake it. I love making fun of Russian accent and like yeah. making it like... <laughs> but with a British, I cannot even pretend. What about French? Are there accents from different regions? There are actually. Well, I don't think it's quite as precise as the UK, where someone can tell you're from the Midlands, which is crazy in my opinion, because they said love, so they have to be from the Midlands, you know. So in France, you can say if someone is from the south or mm-hmm. from the north, and that's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> well, that's... Well, that's my skills. Some people are probably very skilled at saying exactly where I come from. They have some different pronunciation in this house. I'm from Paris, so I have, I guess, like the Parisian pronunciation accent. Is it very different from the one in the house in the north? Yeah, it is. It's different. We can still understand each other and uh-huh. everything, but yeah, well. But the thing is, French isn't limited to France. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 29 or 28 countries, as I found out today. Oh, so you did your research? Yep. Ooh, let's finally get to know this little fella who charmed half the world. French is a romance language, and you just know it's going to be good when Wikipedia greets you with This article may be too long to read and navigate comfortably. But in short, it means that it originated from vulgar Latin, not the one used in literature, but rather the one used in the streets. So Latin equals Rome equals Roman Empire equals Romance language. You get what I mean. Here's what happened. A long time ago, France kind of didn't exist, together with the modern-day Switzerland, Belgium, Northern Italy and some parts of the Netherlands and Germany, France territory was a part of the Gaul region, and obviously the spoken language was Gaulish, and by language here I mean a group of vaguely similar Celtic dialects. But later on, in the second century before the current era, the Roman Empire was like, With them, they brought not only roads and, like, stability, but also Latin language. And if you wanted to, I don't know, survive and eat, you would have to learn it. So eventually Gaulish was forgotten and Latin in its colloquial form took over. But wait, that's not it. In the 4th century, the Germanic kingdoms were also like... Lock the doors, lower the blinds, fire up the smoke machine and put on your heels. But this time, instead of the whole language, they just brought some words and a bit of phonology from Frankish as a souvenir. Now, from boiling down together Gaulish, Latin and Frankish, by the 8th century we get a soup called Old French. That is still a mix of dialects with no standard form, but they were close enough, so let's just call them that. Fast forward to the 14th century, we get to Middle French, where, if you'd see a before and after picture, you'd comment something like Congrats, but diet culture is toxic. Hope you didn't fine. It is the time when most transformations happened, and French was starting to look like French. Just not quite yet. We'd have to wait until the 17th century for modern French, which, well, 
you know, is modern. And with it being standardized, French also became a lingua franca and would be used all over the world as a means of communication until the 20th century when English pushed it to the side. And now French is spoken in France, Belgium, Monaco, Luxembourg, Switzerland, as well as in some former colonies like numerous African countries like Central African Republic, Madagascar, Mali, Cameroon, Chad, Rwanda, Togo and many more, partly in the Caribbean, in French Guiana in South America and the South Pacific. Oh, also in Canada, but we're gonna get to that a bit later. And that totals to about half a billion people who speak French at various levels of fluency, about 100 million of which are native speakers. Yeah, so, so for Belgium, which is just right next to France, has quite a strong accent, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty hard to impersonate, and they don't like it when you do that. Apparently, the things to look for in Belgian French are barely pronounced R's and shortened vowels. It sounds something like Je me suis rendu compte que j'étais assez fan de de la musique qui vient du du nord donc euh, je pense à Sigouros que j'ai découvert quand j'avais près 14 ans euh, John C maintenant j'adore les filles comme Emily Nicolas ou Björk It was Alison the Roof talking about her favorite musicians maybe you could actually catch who those are But do you still understand We do understand each other uh-huh. but it sounds very odd. Oh, wow. And uh, Switzerland, I guess, as well. Like some parts yeah, of Switzerland yeah, speak yeah. French. Uh, like the reputation for Switzerland is that they speak very slowly. Mm-hmm. And But like, I think the most strange sounding accent in French for a French person would be the Canadian French accent. Uh, really? Like the Quebecois. And I wouldn't say it's an accent, it's another language. It's really hard uh-huh. for me to understand someone who speaks Quebecois, and they have so many different words. It's it's really, really different. The accent is really, really different as well. Wow, so it's so, like, a, like a dialect. It's much more different than, for instance, say, British mm. English and American English. Like, mm. much more different. Wow. I guess, the re- well, it's the same history as British English and American English. I don't know why. But, so, like, the Quebec, the people who live in Quebec now, I, I guess they came from uh, Europe and France, uh, like, more than 200 years ago. And since then... Their language, it's like um, a branch in a tree, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we've evolved one way and they have evolved some other way. Oh. Having looked into Canadian French and Quebecois, I want to make a whole episode about it. But here's what I can tell you so far. As we already know, French is spoken in many, many countries. And if you paid attention to history ever, you would know that it traveled there with settlers slash colonizers. But if most colonies kept French more or less untouched, what happened to Quebecois for it to be so distinctly different? And I need to point out, different when spoken, because formal written language is still mutually intelligible. In fact, Quebecois has no standardized form, and all because of the fear that it would isolate it from other French-speaking communities. So imagine, it's the 17th century. You wake up one morning in Paris with a mighty need to colonize part of the world that is so successfully being exploited by the English and the Spanish. And you are just incidentally also King Henry IV. And so what are you going to do? You send three dozen men to North America for them to create the second settlement with this extremely unique and original name, New France. Those men were all over their original friends and spoke with a variety of accents and dialects, but they alone weren't enough to fill in this new and let's be honest stolen land. And that's when a bunch of Parisian women traveled there to help out with marriage and childbirth. And so over time Canadian French became a mix of Parisian French and regional dialects. Then the British came over, said, Mine, 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 took over new friends, but being scared of the French settlers joining the American Revolution allowed them to keep the language. And with ties being cut from their original friends, 
linguistic changes had begun, or rather, stopped. Because one of the features of Quebecois is the use of phrases that would be considered outdated by other French speakers. Additionally, from being in such close contact with another language, the vocabulary got enriched by borrowing and transforming English, or creating completely new words. Grammar had also been modified, but I'm waiting for a native speaker who would be more qualified to explain how. Wink. And another thing that might not be as obvious to an unaccustomed ear is accent. Canadian French sounds something like this. On a l'immense privilège de recevoir Zaz dans nos studios aujourd'hui. Un court séjour à Montréal, puis tu prends un beau cinq minutes pour nous. Merci d'être là. Avec plaisir. C'est vraiment le fun de te voir. Euh, tu étais de passage à Montréal pour une raison particulière à la base. Oui. Donc, tu étais euh, le week-end dernier en direct de l'univers pour faire une surprise à Michel Charrette. C'est ça, on m'a invité. Oui? C'était cool. En fait, j'avais envie de venir aussi. Du coup, c'était l'occasion, c'était le bon moment. Je suis venue peindre aussi avec un... That was a Quebec journalist talking to a French Sinazaz about her trip to Montreal. Now, in Canada, French is mostly spoken in Quebec, Ontario, and Western Canada. And yes, there is a lot of effort put into the preservation of the tongue, but it's not as linear as most speakers would like it to be. While the stop signs are translated to French, all labels are in two languages, and it's a general practice to study them both in school, dictionaries are updated very slowly, not always reflecting the changing realities. And again, no standardization means no precise grammar guidelines, which does not necessarily mean that the language is at risk of dying out, it's just hell inconvenient. I would think, you know, because there are a lot of African countries that they speak French, yeah. I would imagine that would be the most branched out and different, but Canadian? Oh, Canadian is definitely very different. I don't think you could tell the difference mm -hmm. between oh, yeah. South and North France, but you can definitely tell the difference between Canadian and French. Oh. Well, France, French. Yeah, French, well, French. I'm pretty sure you can. And so many words are different. Uh -huh. uh, well, and it's pretty funny because it tells quite a few things about the country, you know. Like, for instance, most insults in French. Well, they're pretty sexist and homophobic in mm -hmm. usually. But they're usually about prostitution. You know, like, am I allowed to swear? You can, if you want to. It's well, fine. I don't want to. But okay, don't even have to. It's an illustration. Uh -huh. So if you don't want me to, I won't. You, you... <laughs> okay, it won't be too bad. Like, for, in France, we have putain. Which is like the most, it means everything. Everything. Like, when, whatever the situation, you can say it. So, like, fucking English. Pretty much, yeah. Great to know. Yeah. And we have bordel, which means brothel, mm -hmm. truly. Well, we have so many about prostitution. And all, well, not all, but so many insults from Quebec are about church. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's really weird. I don't want to, to say it because it will sound ridiculous to all the Quebecois, but like calice, which is something in the church, I don't remember. Calice, or chalice, is just a very fancy cup they use in churches. And tabernacle, which is some tabernacle, well, some other thing in mm -hmm. the church. Tabernacle, or tabernacle, is like a huge box that basically holds what is needed to reenact the last. Supper. Somehow, both Kalis and Tabernak came to be equivalent to the F word. I mean, I say somehow, but what most likely happened is that those words were considered to be so precious they were taboo. But forbidden fruit is that much sweeter, and the revocalization of those words made them that much more impactful. They have so many, <laughs> and well, that's pretty funny. But also, if you say that in a street in Quebec, people will be like, what? You know, like that's very rude. If you say that in France, no one will ever know what you said. Fascinating how we can just prescribe so much power to certain words and turn them into swear ones. 
like in the good place. Holy forking shirt! I use it instead of some specific and obvious swear word. But say it enough times in the right context and voila, catch yourself telling your children off for using it in front of grandma. Why can't I say fork? Out of everything, I would not think that swear words were such a distinction. I guess the, it's the biggest distinction, surprisingly. Yeah. And also, I guess they're much more protective about French than we are. That's an interesting point, because usually people say that, you know, French people hate English and everyone yeah. who speaks English and all of that. I How guess do you... so. Well, I don't think so. Uh-huh. I guess you have to learn English now. So what I mean is, okay, so because I very admittedly love friends, when I travel there, my mm-hmm. first phrase with anything is anglais. If you can learn any one phrase before going to France, make it this one. Parlez-vous anglais? Meaning, do you speak English? Trust me, it will save you quite a bit of heartbreak when all you want is that vegan pudding, but no one would attend to you because you just don't know how to say pudding in French. I mean, it will be pudding, but you know what I'm saying. So, because I know that if I don't do that, the attitude would be different if I just say hi. Is that just my experience? Well, I've never been a foreigner in France, so you, you know better than me. Mm-hmm. I think there is some nationalist feeling uh-huh. that France... Well, you know, like that's the thing that French used to be the... Not the universal language, but kind of. Yeah, in the 19th century, half of Russia spoke French. Yeah, so like, yes, I guess Russia is one of the best examples for that. I've been told so many times since I arrived here that Russian aristocracy used to speak French, you know. Yeah, like half... Told, well, know. not half, but a lot of, like, war and peace by... Yeah, yeah, was written yeah. In French. yeah, so that's... French, yeah. And still, there's this kind of pride, even though everyone is aware that English won, you know, <laughs> like the war about languages, and that it's not the universal language. There's this pride that France and French still have to be at the top of the scene, you know, mm-hmm. and at the front of the scene. And, you know, like in, at the UN, for instance, I guess French is a, an official language. Well, it's important to some people. I wouldn't say they hate English, but they really want French to remain important and relevant. But who doesn't for their own language? True know? enough, yeah. yeah. But this sentiment, I think, is even stronger in Quebec. Because they're a minority. Oh, yeah. I mean, compared to the whole country that speaks English. Yeah, the whole country speaks English. And only, not just in Quebec, but mainly in Quebec, they speak French. So, for instance, all um, the uh, road signs where everywhere in the world it's written stop, including in France. In Quebec, it's translated to French. It's written arrêt. So, like, they translate everything. Yeah. So, like, in France, we say an email because it's the English word and it was invented by Americans, I guess. But in Quebec, they have a word for that. Courriel. How do you know so much about... I was there. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. So, speaking of that, because I know that, I mean, English kind of stole half of, like, French. I'm like, okay, we're going to take this word, we're going to change it a little bit, but it's going to be, you know, it's still from French. What about... Is it how it happens? Great question. How do languages borrow words from each other? And instead of borrow, I think we really should say still, because we don't exactly give them back after months of use, do we? It used to be that we would travel, explore foreign cultures, discover something that we don't have, and then invite this new experience into our understanding of the world, and also invite its name into our vocabularies. Now, with the internet, we just have to scroll through Twitter every once in a while, and when we see a word that describes some kind of new phenomenon or gives a name to the one that wasn't quite defined before, like selfie or anthropocene, the light bulb goes and we have two choices. Either take the word as it is and change it as much as possible to assimilate it into our speech, or, if it still feels alien, come up with an entirely new word for the same concept. 
Interestingly, there are also borrowings happening inside of the language, when words from different professional fields like medicine or criminal justice enter daily vocabulary of lay people. As we say, English borrowed French words with an abundance, but French also did that, even if the word count is lower. For example, French took such words as Allô, meaning hello, or bridge, or cool, and even flirt. Yeah, so there are so many words uh, that come from yeah. French. I mean, technically from Latin, but from French. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about French? Do you have many words that come from English apart from email? Well, all the technology words yeah. are English. Well, not all, but um, um, lots. You know, even if we have our own word for a computer, which is ordinateur, um, if you say laptop, pretty much everyone will understand what you mean. Mm -hmm. And that won't sound English. It mm -hmm. will sound very much French. Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah, a lot of technology-related words. Some words come from English, but were Frenchized, you know, like que became Q. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that most English people don't even know that that comes from French. That's another interesting point. But yeah, because there are so many vowels in French words. Because you want to <laughs> say that you studied spelling. It's I cannot... Yeah, it's not even the worst. Well, I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me. Okay, I'll ask Google. Um, I did ask Google, and here's what I found out. Remember we talked about all those invasions and their side effects on the language? Well, the, let's say, quite distinct spelling comes from around the time of Middle French. With all the changes going on, academia tried to keep the language intact and preserve the phonology with the spelling of the words. Obviously, the sounds kept changing, in fact, they still do, but the way words are written still reflects the way they were once pronounced. It's true that, like, for instance, in Merci Beaucoup, mm -hmm. to, to make the O sound in Beaucoup, mm -hmm. you need three letters. Oh where, I guess, just an O would mm -hmm. have worked, but that would be terrible. Like Terrible, yeah. yeah. Well, it's because Beau uh -huh. means beautiful. You know, like, beautiful starts with B-E-A-U. Mm. That must be from French as well. Yeah, it comes from Old French, where it, unsurprisingly, traveled to from Latin, preserving its meaning. But was it difficult to study as a native? Because I, can, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's difficult for some people. Mm -hmm. I'm. I was okay. Like I don't do that many um, spelling mistakes. Or, mm -hmm. But well, I think it's difficult. Like it's one. I guess it's more difficult than English. I, as a native, I mean. Yeah. And maybe also as a not native. <laughs> well, yeah, like, because in English there are at least a couple of rules you could follow. Are there yeah. any rules in French? There are many rules, but. Every rule has so many exceptions that if you learn the rule, you basically know nothing mm -hmm. because you need to learn all the... Well, English as well. Like the put ed at the end of the verb to make mm -hmm. it past. This yeah. has or so many exceptions as well that exactly. you need to learn. I, I guess French and English are not that different. Well, being in Russia, <laughs> I can tell you this. Yeah, just my friend was like, he knows a little bit of French. He said that English is basically French. And so yeah. this is the essence mm -hmm. of it that... Probably. They don't bother with genders. Mm -hmm. Like a table is not... I don't know how it is in Russian, but... Stop. Is, is it feminine or masculine? It is masculine, yeah. Okay, it's feminine in French. So, you know, like they don't have time for this. <laughs> English is just more efficient, I think. Mm -hmm. And also they have quite a few ways to phrase something that are really useful and that you don't have in French and you wish you had them. For instance, like expect someone to do something. There's no straightforward way in French to say it, I think. I know that in French, you don't have the word lime, you have green lemon, and yeah, 80 is for 20. <laughs> yeah, and a 90 is for 2010. Oh my God. <laughs> Why? 
well, that's why you are good in maths, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But in Belgium, mm-hmm. they have words for 80 and 70 and 90. Oh, wow. They don't say the same way as French people do. Do you want to borrow those words back? No. No. No, they, they sound ridiculous to my ears. Okay. Basically, like, they look at the logic until uh-huh. 60, which is pretty straightforward. Like, you take the four. Well, mm-hmm. in English, it's even easier. Like, you take four and you add T. Mm-hmm. In French, it's not as easy, but pretty easy until 60. And then they kept going with the same logic. And that's how Belgians came up with great, simple words. But French people still say for 2010. It's just, yeah, it's so unusual. Do you know any other language who's got this kind of weird counting system? No, but I will definitely search because that's exactly why it's so odd that we never hear about that. It's just French doing that. Well, it turns out that in the old counting system club, French is not the only member. I wouldn't even call it the weirdest one. Just take a look at the system used in DUM, one of the languages in Papua New Guinea. There are only words for numbers from 1 to 6, for 18 and 36, and you have to figure out the rest. If you want to say 90, that's going to be 36 multiplied by 2 plus 18, or if you want to say 23, that will be 18 plus 5. But seeing that apart from French, Welsh and Danish also have a counting system that uses base of 20, it's either the Celts or the Vikings to blame. You don't realize it's weird until some, uh, yeah. someone tells you it's weird. Yeah. Like, Actually, they're right. But let's talk about stereotypes. I know right. two. Uh, French is the language of love. Is it? Well, that's my question to you. Well, are people who don't speak French not in love? Or do they never say it? <laughs> okay, so you don't like that idea. No, I don't. I, I, I don't. I can't even understand what it means, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe people find it romantic. Mm-hmm. But, well, you can probably talk about love in any language ever. I, I guess there's just that people find French romantic mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, it but not, not French people, obviously. Mm-hmm. Just foreigners find it romantic. Okay, we already know that French is a romance language, but is French the language of romance? So, since it's not exactly the kind of thing that the linguistic society would have a consensus over, here are the humble results of my investigation. Clue number one. Some claim that love was invented by French in the 12th century, when, even though it wasn't considered to be a part of a marriage, it was still thought to be one of the noblest pursuits. Poets were writing all about it and idealizing the living shit out of it. Technically, they were doing it in the Occitan language, that is still spoken today, but it mixed enough with French for the latter one to be receiving all the praise. By the way, this is what Occitan sounds like. Tan ma vostre courtes de man this was a piece of Dante's poem talking to and admiring exactly the poets of that time. Clue number two. Some people just like the melody of French. That's kind of it. What's not to love? Clue number three. Out of all the possible phrases translated to French with Google.translate, I love you or Je t'aime is the one typed in most often. Use this information as you please and say the words I love you in your language as much as you can. So I guess that's where it comes from. Do you find it? Do you think it's the language of love? I don't think it's 
it's as you said, like you can talk about love in any language, yeah. make it sound as beautiful in any language. But French does sound very uh, unique, I would say, to even to compare to other European languages. It does have this mm. oomph. That's what, sorry? Like something special. I guess if you ask French people, they'll tell you that Italian is the language of love. Oh, really? Well, maybe not of love, but of romanticism or passion or whatever. Uh-huh. It sounds quite sexy, you know, okay. <laughs> like Italian, that's right. Oh, what about the stereotype of French language that you use negative reinforcement in a way that usually what people would say it's pretty good, French would rather say it's not bad. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, apparently. Well, is it? I can't think of an example. Maybe, oh, right, in French, but I think in Russian as well. Well, I don't know if it's about language or about culture, we like it's both are mixed, but you wouldn't say crazy things about events that are not crazy, if you know what I mean. You can easily hear American people saying, oh, that was fantastic, it was brilliant, it was lit, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, not lit, that's very British, but you know, like this kind of crazy vocabulary about like having a meal, like a random mm-hmm. meal, you know? Like you can hear that, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And in French, if you use this kind of words, it has to be justified. Well, not justified, but it has to be for a good reason, you know? Uh-huh. And it's just also like the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. People aren't that over the top in Russia, I guess. And I think in France as well, as they can be in the US, you know? I, I think in the UK, it's not that true. The more most British response to are you is not too bad it's not great you know <laughs> like they, they, they would say not too bad so maybe it's like european versus american okay. rather than french or, or russian versus. Uh-huh. are there any other stereotypes that you hate no love well i guess the main stereotype is the love thing like the romantic thing that i never could really understand but not that much about language but about the country like the food thing i guess there is something that like there we have so many words for a, a very rich vocabulary uh-huh. for food, which is probably true, because we need to be precise when talking about food. That's the thing. Is there a word in French about food that English doesn't have? That That's probably because of my poor vocabulary in English, but definitely just ways to say that something is disgusting uh-huh. without saying it's disgusting. <laughs> that's, that's, well, it must exist in every language, but like some words that are just normal words mm-hmm. and that are, well, designating something it's not like it's not a bad word it doesn't mean it's disgusting but just the fact that you use this word and maybe of course the way you say it will make it sound disgusting like ragunias ragunias basically uh, designates mix of stuff and but like if you use this word even though it's originally i don't think it's it means it's disgusting like like just if you use this word it means you didn't like it you know and which means boiled there is no other word for boiled, so if you liked it, you have to say bouillie as well. But usually when you say bouillie, it means you found it disgusting. You know the, the word that you said, when you find it disgusting, like it's a mix of everything? Yeah, ragu, yes. It sounds like a dish, like ragu. Which, yeah, it, it yeah. is ragu. Okay. Well, there is the, the word ragu. And ragu, yes. well, I don't really know, okay. but it's some type of ragu, I guess. Okay. But just the fact that you use this word, mm-hmm. and it, it just sounds not good, you know? Well, I, I feel like maybe that's because my vocabulary isn't that great. But I feel like in English, if you're speaking about a meal, it's like you're going to use the word that designates this meal mm-hmm. and your feeling is going to come afterwards, you know? You're mm-hmm. going to say, I ate this and it was disgusting. It was revolting. It was great. But in French, you don't really have to say what you felt because it's 
implied in the word you use. Oh. Well, not every time, but with this word, I guess it would be. Maybe it's just my feeling. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm saying, maybe French people would really? not agree no, at God, all. We don't agree with this you. This is bullshit. <laughs> but like, yeah. that's how I feel. My mom is really good at this. Like, if she talks about something, you know exactly what she thinks about it mm -hmm. without her saying it. Oh, like, just the way she says it and the words she used. So, kind of like a passive-aggressive <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, a little bit, I guess. Well, yeah. If she says bouilli, we can be sure she didn't enjoy it. But it's the word for bold. There's no other one. I guess also that's because bold food isn't considered very great, mm -hmm. you know, well, in France. You know, like, if, we, if you boil meat, people are like, what? <laughs> so, maybe that's why. Okay, so I know the answer, but I'm still going to ask. Which one do you find more expressive? Oh. Um, do you know the answer? Because I don't... It's not that obvious. So the thing is, well, to answer some other question of yours, because I don't like to answer her questions, I'll answer some other question. Go ahead. I, I feel pretty different when speaking English or French. So as I told you, I can express myself much better in French, I guess, because I know just more words. And I know so many ways to say the same thing that I can bring exactly the right nuance. But it's a bit of a paradox. I can't explain it, but I think I enjoy it better or more in English. And I guess one of the reasons is that, well, when I speak French, I'm much more self-conscious about the words I use. And I feel like since it's my native language, I don't really think that much about what I'm going to say. Well, not what I'm going to say, but how I'm going to say it. It just comes out naturally. And just after saying it, I realized that I just used a word that I shouldn't have, or uh, I would rather have used some other one. And maybe it sounds very childish, you know, but it just how it came out. And I feel like in French, well, not about the accent, but you can say like who the person is, depending on the words they use, you know, mm -hmm. like it's very, like so socially speaking, I mean. Do you mean like whether they're like lower class or upper class? Or like yeah, for instance. Uh -huh. Well, that's true in English as well. But I think it's more... Yeah, it's more blended now. Like, basically, this history with accents in England, right? So the original one, the British one, used to be the one they use in Texas now. Mm. But then they wanted to distinguish themselves. And so in, like, the 19th century, they created this Cockney London kind of accent. Oh, really? Where it's very British. The way we think British English yeah. sounds now. They wanted to distinguish themselves. So we are the upper class. We are rich and whatever. So, just like Canadian French paused its progression when the ties with France were cut, so did American English, meaning that American accent, even though branched out, didn't change all that much in the centuries since it was brought over to the continent. British English, however, went through bizarre phonological transformations, mostly driven by the desire to reinforce class division. So, Howdy, partner! technically sounds more British than... You've been reading those communist newspapers again. Okay, that sounded kind of American. How about... Stop whining and find something to do. Here we go. Now back to French. It's kind of the same, but more with vocabulary or... Yeah, I say it wouldn't be that much about accents in French, but more about the words you use. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty easy to say how educated someone is, you know, or what background they mm -hmm. come from. And if I speak to my parents in French, then I'm going to naturally use some words that are actually some teenager slang, you know? And, well, I'm not really a teenager anymore. And as soon as I use them, I'm like, why did you say that, you know? Like, why would you use this word? But 
I can't really help it because it's my native language and you can't, you don't really think about the words you use when you speak your native language or maybe it's just me, I don't know. And when I speak English, since I really started speaking English when I was 18, I feel it's a bit like more like a blank page and then, well, you can shape your way of speaking depending on who you feel you are or who you want to be and it's much more satisfying, you know. And if you start using some words that you don't like, it's pretty easy, I feel, to make yourself not use it anymore and use another one instead. But in French, I, w I would not be able to do that. So I, sp well, obviously I speak French much better, but I feel like I'm a bit more myself, my current self, when I speak English. That is so interesting. That's very hard to explain. But I hope it makes sense. It does to me because that's when I told you that I talked to my friend who is Canadian. Yeah. That's exactly what we told each other. Oh, that nice. English, that's how we feel because we, we studied Russian as babies yeah. and we had to learn certain patterns of speech and certain things. And that's why most people feel maybe more timid, more shy or not as kind of confident is in Russian. But then exactly we shaped the way we spoke as we grew up from, let's say, 12 to like 20 and so on. Mm. And yeah, so I know what you're talking about. I'm so about. happy you can relate to that. Yeah. Because, it, well, I, I'm always struggling to explain it. That, you're right. That was the better question than the one I No, no, no. That, that, that wasn't my point. Uh, your question was great. It's just that I didn't really know what to, what to answer, so I went for that. But can you just remind me your question, please? Um, Which one is more expressive? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know what you mean by expressive. That's my problem. Okay. So I mean, like, I can express myself better in French because uh -huh. I know many more words. But I feel like to express express my real self mm -hmm. or current self, English would be a better choice. That's why I answered that. It mm -hmm. was an answer to a question with a big detour. We talked for a while about stereotypes of German language, but you have to wait until I get a native German speaker for me to be like, Tell me all about it. The next question is not exactly about stereotypes, but rather about the harsh reality I'm living with. Why is it so hard to pronounce French? Ask people who learn oh, French. Okay, <laughs> I okay. don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, let me go the other way around. Are there any sounds in English or in Russian that you find that, oh my god, what the hell? In Russian, definitely. Uh -huh. In English, there's like the classic TH, mm -hmm. which I guess doesn't exist in any other language. Well, how do I put it? I was convinced that that much is true. I knew that English obviously had the TH sounds, also known by the fancy names of voiced dental fricative <laughs> and voiceless dental fricative. <laughs> dental teeth, you get it. I heard about Icelandic and Greek, but apart from those three, it can also be found in Spanish, Albanian, Catalan, Turkmen, our new friend Ossetan, Arabic, and I kinda did an episode on that, and many more, about 43 languages in total. So in school, when you're learning English in uh, French school, it's a big deal being able to pronounce this TH monster, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> it's funny because English people don't even know about that. But if you ask a 12-year-old French person about English, the first thing he's going to tell you about is the TH thing that he has no idea how to pronounce. I guess there are a few things in French that don't exist in... sounds in French that don't exist in other languages. Like the very... well, not in other languages, they do exist in other languages, but not in most. Mm -hmm. Like the R is a bit specific, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, I have a Chinese friend who told me he can't tell the difference between a P and a B in French. I don't get it because it, I feel like it's pretty much the same as in English. Like he told me in English it's fine, but in French he has no idea. Like wow. So it must be different in some way. The O-N sound, does it exist in any other language? Huh? No, yeah, I've never heard of. Yeah, uh -huh. like the O-N sound, the E-N sound, which is en, uh -huh. like in my, or A-N is the same one. In my first name, it's Nathan. And when a British person tries to say Nathan, it ends up being Nathan, 
you uh-huh. know, which sounds... Just like the TH sounds, the sound mm. is not very popular, but there are about 60 languages, including French and Portuguese, that use it. We do... Well, French definitely has some weird stuff, but English does as well, and Russian, Russian does as well. All right, I know you've been waiting this whole episode dying to know which sounds make up the ever-so-charming landscape of French language. Here we go. Just like with English, there are 26 letters in the alphabet. But there are also things like a grave accent, a small line above the letter slanted to the right, an acute accent slanted to the left, a circumflex, a tiny rooftop over a letter, a tremor, two dots above the letter, which we sometimes see in the spelling of the word naive, and a cedula, which is only used with the letter C and looks like a comma below it. Also, sometimes two letters get so up close and personal, they get written together. It's called orthographic ligature. Mix all this up and you get 38 sounds, 18 of which are consonants and the rest 20 are vowels. Consonants are pretty familiar with the usual deal of ya, wa, ba, ka, da, fa, ga, ja, la, ma, na, pa, sa, za, ta, va, sha, nya, nya. With the exception of the very special pronunciation of R. Ra. With vowels, it feels like a trap at every corner. There are the ones that are more or less known. A, E, 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 I, O, O, U. But there are also nasal sounds. An, an, on. Vowels like U, E, E. And there is even a half vowel. Oui. If this is what makes French so beautiful to so many, then I think we've cracked the code. Next time you are inventing a language, just add a whole bunch of vowels and watch it bloom. Just final questions. Maybe oh. the most difficult one of all. Oh, no. Yes. What's your favorite word or words? This is too hard. I don't oh, know. No. Something. I, it's really, really hard. Uh-huh. Like, when it's your native language, you don't find words. Well, words aren't beautiful or ugly. They just are. But all the other people you invited could answer this question, and I have no idea how. They had notes they prepared. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about it, actually. Mm-hmm. But, well, there are some words I find funny. Go ahead. Okay, but they are funny for some references, you know, not by themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible to explain. Like the word gargantuesque, which I guess it sounds pretty cool. Everything sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Fair enough. So it comes from Gargantua, who's a character in a, well, Middle Age, Renaissance book by Rabelais. And he's like this guy who eats a lot. He's a giant, I think. And now, gargantuesque. Un repas gargantuesque means huge. Like a huge meal, you know. Gargantuesque uh-huh. is like this character's name. Gargantua. Oh. Which doesn't mean anything. It's just a name. You add esque at the end. And it means like, that refers to Gargantua. Mm-hmm. Who ate so much that now it's gargantuesque. No one uses it. Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much no one uses it, but it's still a funny word. What about English? Are there many words or any words that you find interesting? I'm sorry, it's too uh, hard. Okay. Like, I, I don't know. Take your time. I'll message you in a while and be like, hey. Yeah, but I've been thinking about that hey. so hard. Uh-huh. And there's no answer to that question. Like, there are some sayings. I don't know, just the way <laughs> British people say, Bob's your uncle. Oh, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Okay, like, I thought only Canadians said that. Really? Uh-huh. I've heard it a lot in the UK. Okay. So I, I, I do maths. 
And sometimes when they would finish a proof, they would go and bug your ankle for there you go, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, that was pretty funny. Well, it's more about sayings. Yeah, expressions as well. Yeah. yeah. Way after we recorded, I messaged Nathan with the same question. And as difficult as it is, he did give me an answer. Are you ready? They are... Crépité. Meaning crackle. And... Le quart d'heure de politesse. Translating as 15 minutes of politeness. Meaning that it's not polite to be on time, so you should arrive quarter of an hour late. So next time you're running late, just say, Hey, I can help it. I'm just well-mannered like that. I love asking this question, just even friends in general, but yeah. I am terrified of the day someone will ask me this question. Yeah, I, actually, that was, my, <laughs> that was my plan. No, you guessed me. So what's, what, do you, what words do you find cool in English? Today I was thinking that I like how honeymoon sounds. Oh, because okay. like yeah, like honeymoon, and also the, like the I don't know, I just find it very interesting. But how do you know you like it? First, who is interviewing who here? And second, that's a brilliant question. Yes, so you just kind of catch yourself in the moment, and you're like, wow, that that that's beautiful. Okay, because it doesn't sound any special, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's not there's there's no weird thing about honeymoon. Uh huh. Well, I I don't think there is. Yeah, it's, it's not like there is some sound that never that is absent from the language. Mm-hmm. But from the, so I d- I don't really know. Okay. So but if you like it, it's great. Like yeah, but I cannot relate. <laughs> no, I, well, it's a cool word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't know how you know you like something. So what's the other one? Uh, I love using this phrase. Welcome to the club. When someone is saying <laughs> something I can relate to, like oh, yeah. I haven't slept all night. Like welcome to the club. We yes. have the same in French actually. Really? Yeah, but it sounds a bit. Old, like old school, you know. Okay. Like no teenager would say it. Okay. Or they would get beaten up in school. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding, but it's like an old person thing to say. I guess in English it's much better. How do you pronounce it in French? So welcome is bienvenue and to the club is au club. Yeah, club is... Oh, that's probably an English word that we stole. Yeah, club was taken from English. There are actually quite, quite a few English mm-hmm. words that we stole. I guess an easy way to spot them is when some letter is pronounced... The way it's actually yeah. written. No, mm. <laughs> no. Wow. No, I mean it's pronounced like the English pronunciation, not the French one. Oh, okay. Like club, which in French is club. So it's the same thing. But if you pronounce it the French way, it would be club, which oh. makes no sense. So that's a good way to spot some word that we stole. Now let's get to the final questions. Any advice for a person <laughs> studying French? I guess the way I learned French would not be applicable to them. Fair because enough. just laying in the bed and <laughs> listening to people speaking around you wouldn't work. But, well, one thing I could say is that I know people that learn French really quickly. Mm-hmm. And now they are great at it. They still make mistakes, but who cares, you know? Like, they can totally express themselves in French. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take them that long. I think your Russian guest was saying that after two years... Some friend of hers could barely speak Russian. Yeah. After two years, if you study French for real, after two years, you're totally able to say whatever you want. So that's pretty cool. And, oh yeah, I have an advice, actually. My advice would be do not watch old films. So we do learn languages with films and songs and everything, right? Like when you want to hear people speaking, the easiest way to do that is to watch films. But if you watch a film from like the 50s or before, it's impossible. 
Like you're, you're not going to learn French. You're going to learn some other language. So I, I remember my parents showing me Les Tontons Flingueurs, which is a film I guess from the 50s. Les Tontons Flingueurs is indeed a French-Italian-German comedy translated in English as Crooks in Clover. It was filmed a bit past 50s in the 1963. Like a legendary film. For them, it was hilarious, but I couldn't even understand a word just because the way they spoke was so weird. So if I can't understand that, then definitely someone who tries to learn French shouldn't watch this. Well, they can watch it for curiosity, but it's not how... This is not the French that they should be aiming for. Right. That's interesting how in like just me, a 50 years, language transformed in something. Yeah, that's, I still can't explain it because mm -hmm. when I talk to old people, they speak just normal. Uh -huh. so, <laughs> but like, I don't know. They had some, some, it's, so it's a very Parisian, I guess, way to pronounce things. I think it's a male thing also as well. So like, so this film is about, I don't, they're not Parisians, but it's about like, so Les Tontons means the uncles. So it's about some, like a group of 40, 50 year old guys and they speak, well, I couldn't explain it. It's just, they don't press the syllables and the words as I would. And it makes it impossible to understand, you know, and well, they use so many expressions that I've never heard. Wow. So don't watch old films. If you want to study French. Yeah. Well, do, do watch old <laughs> films. <laughs> Sorry. But it's not going to help you. If you learn how to speak the 50s French, mm -hmm. then you don't know how French. I am very good to listen to it, and I hope so are you. What do we do? We risk on the bizarre. It's not going to hurt anyone. We'll save it. There was one character offering a drink to another with a very solid reasoning of them not getting younger. I know that everyone, when I say bilingual, everyone's like, I'm not bilingual, I just speak English. But as a person who speaks English and French and possibly Spanish and maybe a little <laughs> bit of Hebrew and in the future Russian, what I is the so. best thing about knowing several languages of being bilingual? I guess the best thing is, well, it allows you to speak to many more people. That's obvious, but still the best thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if I only spoke French, I couldn't speak to a single person in Peter. <laughs> so, <laughs> and now I can speak to you, mm -hmm. which is great. So I guess this is the best thing. And so, so I study maths. And since I've been studying maths in English for the last four years, I can't do maths in French anymore. So now when I think about maths, I think in English. And I guess it affects the way I think. So it's weird. Yeah, I, I tried to read some French article in maths uh -huh. and I had no clue what the hell was going wow. on. Wow. It was really hard. So So I guess that's the negative side of Oh, I was thinking that's like okay. just because I, I'm well that makes me think with a different mind. Uh-huh. In some way. Like I think about it differently, I guess, because mm -hmm. I think about it in another, in another language. I was actually um, talking to a Russian professor, maths professor, but who teaches in the UK. And she, so she studied in Russia, but now she teaches and works in English. And she told me how both languages were like two, like she had two brains, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when she had a math problem, she, well, thought about it in some language, it didn't work, and she switched to the other, and it worked just better. 
And well, and she told me how useful it was to have both brains in her brain, like her Russian brain and her English brain. There was actually a study about that. When yeah, the, you know so much about everything. That's crazy. No, really. But like, basically, it's um, if you know two languages and you yeah. have like some question on the test, translate it into your other language and it will help you to answer that somehow. Oh. So they tested that. So you have a question that is like, say, in English, translated into French. And supposedly, it should help you to oh, that's okay. answer better. Yeah, I don't know how it works. Uh, I was trying so hard to research this, but nothing came up. I read it years ago, so don't quote me on this. And if you know the name of the study, please let me know. So the tip goes something like this. When you're struggling with some kind of exam question, translate it onto your other language, and it will help you to comprehend the question better. I also use it in daily life when things get too confusing or I cannot quite form the message I want to communicate. I'm sure there is a whole science or two behind it, but from what I can tell, it gives your brain a different frame of reference and different patterns of speech, so you have a chance to see whatever you're facing from a different perspective. All the benefits of knowing several languages. Hope to speak at least one one day. That was not a negative side. What is the negative side? I guess the main negative side would be that my French is getting worse and worse, because I don't use it that much anymore, and... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I lived in the UK for four years. I did have French friends there, but, well, I spoke mostly English. And now that I'm here, I, sp- I speak only English. And when I go back to France, well, I make mistakes in French and I say some things. Like, I, I use the English um, structure. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's relatable. And that's not elegant at all. Mm-hmm. Like, people will judge you for that. Well, do. I don't know if they judge you, no. but they judge me. Okay, yeah. Here my friends say, oh, that's very cool. I'm like, is it? Is it cool me making mistakes in my own language? It's terrible, right? Yeah. I know, I feel bad. And like my sister keeps shaming me for it. Because like, there are so many ways to say things in English that are just so convenient and we don't have in French. So, well, you want to, to get it out quickly mm-hmm. and you use the, the most efficient way to say that you know. So like you just replace the English words by French words and it doesn't make any sense anymore. And since everyone knows English, they know what you just did, so they can judge you for it. And like, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, that happens a little bit to me. Mm -hmm. But So I have a friend who was born in Paris and raised in Paris, but like her family is English speaking. So she was raised in English, but in Paris. So she has like, she's totally bilingual. She's a true bilingual. And her French is really bad. She does that all the time. Uh-huh. Like using English structures and even words sometimes. Well, it's not elegant, you know? You don't want to do that. So that's, I guess, is the main negative side. Okay, so the aesthetics of the language, the way it's... The, the fact that you lose uh-huh. your language, you know? Like you forget it a little bit. And also, since I haven't practiced French daily for four years, well, I probably still speak French like I did four years ago, which comes back to what I was saying about my way of speaking French, not reflecting who I am now. Like maybe I still speak French like a teenager because the last time I spoke French for real, like on a daily basis was when I was a teenager. Well, there you go. If you want to learn more about French, just come to France or even Canada if you feel risky. And while you're planning your trip, you can elevate the torture of waiting by spending your time writing a review or subscribing and rating the podcast. It really helps other people to discover it as well. You can also go and support the podcast on patreon.com slash or with donations and merch. 
And if you already planned your budget for the trip to the penny, you can support for absolutely free by posting about the show on your social media and recommending it to friends. Again, enemies will also do. Your support and listens is the greatest gift I could ever ask for. And next episode will be my gift to you. It will go up on the 1st of January, so technically New Year's. And since it's a present, let's keep the surprise. Until then, bye-bye! Cool.